Employee experience is a priority because it drives retention, engagement, and ultimately business growth. Yet turnover keeps rising because traditional approaches to improving experience are too narrow. SAP Success Factors helps you expand your strategy and redefine employee experiences from every angle. You can capture in-the-moment insights from employees across multiple interactions, then link them with operational data to see what is happening in your workforce and understand why. You can break down system barriers using intelligent technology to integrate experiences within HR and across the business. And you can proactively tackle the toughest challenges like diversity, inclusion, well-being, and more. With SAP Success Factors, you can deliver comprehensive, unexpectedly exceptional experiences that keep employees engaged and keep your business growing. Hi, everyone. I'm Rebecca Minkoff, and you're listening to Superwomen. Today, I got to interview a woman I have been watching and following and just in general being very, very excited about. Um, I met her a long, long time ago, and I was a bit too starstruck at the time to actually have an intelligent conversation. Her name is Amanda Decadne. She was a TV interviewer. She was an amazing photographer. She's now started an incredible company called Girl Gaze. I encourage you to follow it. It's a hashtag, but it's also an amazing platform that's going to give female identifying people, creators, uh, whether it's photographers or artists or videographers, access to work with incredible brands like Levi's, no big deal, um, and other huge corporations so that we can really start shifting the workforce um, and allowing more women and content creators to get jobs with large companies. So this is Amanda Decadne on Superwomen. I am here in my first time ever in the Anchor Spotify studios recording with the lovely Amanda Decadne. Did I say that right? You did. Well done. Thanks. Yeah. We're off to a good start. (laughs) We met a long time ago, uh, back when my friend was dating one of your husband's partner's friends. And you had, were telling me about your kids. Who were little. They were were maybe four, three, Yeah. yeah, babies. And you made an impression on me because I was like, wow, she's doing it all. Well, I think I was probably really struggling. <laughs> I mean, we all struggle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, little kids and working and doing doing all the stuff that many of us do is no small feat. No. And it, yeah, it's becoming more and more um, uh, apparent to me, like how no one is talking about that part enough because everyone's like, oh, you're doing it all. You're doing it so great. I'm no. like... I'm like, I'm barely holding on. Yeah, well, no one really wants to. Vulnerability is crucial to progressing. And it takes real strength to be vulnerable. It is not for the weak no. at all. No. And people confuse vulnerability with weakness. In fact, only the strongest people I know allow other people to see their vulnerability. And I am one of those people that, is comfortable with vulnerability. It has been what has saved me actually from going under. Yeah. Is that I'm willing to be vulnerable and allow people to see my shortcomings and my failures and my fear and my overwhelm. And I continue to embrace that even when it's so far out of my comfort zone. Yeah. And I think that anyone who doesn't even allow that for themselves are the people I really worry about going under. Yep. Um, 
you know? And I think more and more, I just had a conversation with um, a really wonderful woman, a, a female investor called Fran Hauser, who you may know. Yep. I just spoke to Fran on the way here, actually. And we were talking about how people say, well, you're you're so busy, that's great. And I said, yeah, the same way that we needed to reclaim the word bossy, we need to reclaim the word busy because being busy is not necessarily great. A badge of honor. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know, how busy are you? It's almost like the busiest people are the ones who somehow are the most revered, but ultimately, you know, and it's a personal thing, like what's too busy for you might not be for me. Right. And what's too busy for me might not be for you. But we all have to be realistic about what we can and we cannot do. Yep. And start being honest about the fact that every single woman I know who has a high wattage career, demanding career, and has a family, and has a relationship, and has friendships, every single one of those women is suffering. Yeah. And is challenged and is telling me the same thing. I'm so overwhelmed. I'm so overwhelmed. Yep. So what would you tell to a woman to be more vulnerable? Like how have you let yourself open? Because I'll, I'll share with you, like when I do it, people are like, that. it's kind of like when you say, hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? And mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm really tired. Yeah. And they're just like, that's not what they wanted to hear. Yeah, they well, have this like, huh? Well, obviously know your audience, right? Yeah. And I think that's one of the pieces of education that's missing from the time we're in, which is all about like women, you know, use your voice and speak up. It's not just that, that's the first piece. The second piece is choose who you speak up to, Yeah. right? Because you open up to the wrong person, that's actually not healthy. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? People just, yeah. And so, so who are those people that you can be vulnerable with? You know, in a work situation, it's very different than in your friend circle um, or your community. For me, in the workplace, it is very difficult to be vulnerable, especially as I have my first experience as a founder of, you know, corporate structure, which I have to tell you is not for me. No, it's hard. It, it, it is, is hard you, if I'm, you're not used to it. I'm a creative person. Right. And suddenly, there's all these like protocols and, oh, you can't say that to this person and you have to write it up and you have to do that, speak to that person with someone else in the room and all this stuff. It's like, oh, I'm not being vulnerable there. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? Like that, that is a much harder place to be vulnerable. However, you know, I have, I have people who I work with who have come to me and have communicated specific vulnerabilities in their life. And it has allowed me to have more insight into why they're struggling at work. Otherwise, I could just be thinking, man, that person is slacking. Right. But once they tell me what's going on, I'm able to have more compassion. That's assuming I'm a compassionate person. You might get a manager who is not, who does not care, who's like, well, bad luck, do your job. Right. And that can happen too. And by the way, that's also life. You know what I mean? Yeah, we can't stop being so hoping that everyone's going to stroke our egos. No. Which I, I finally figured out, I feel like for me at the office of like, there's a fine line between being the caretaker and the the mom that I want to be and also being like, no, you're paid by me to do your job. Yes. So I'm sorry that you're tired because you stayed out late or you're hungover, like do your job. Right. And how how does that communication go? Um, well, I don't communicate those things anymore. Well, okay. <laughs> because you know what? I admittedly am not as great as it. Like I don't have the sympathy thing anymore. So 
I ask someone who's good at that to communicate that gently. Well, you and I are in the same place <laughs> with that piece of it. Yes. Because as a founder and as someone who has an idea for something, we tend to be extremely we're a certain kind of brain and a certain kind of person who thinks of something from nothing. And it's like, right, I'm gonna do this. Yeah. You know, so the the pace and the, at which we work is expedited. Yes. And that's why we come up with this stuff, you know, and that kind of mentality is not necessarily suited for, you know, a management style that maybe your company or your your employees need. Yep. Um, they're kind of odds with one another often I find. And I'm learning, you know, for me being a founder and a CEO of a company, uh, you know, I don't have a GED. Right. I went to juvie. So for me, everything I've learned has been self-taught and, and I've taught myself a lot and I've learned a lot. But what I will say is that um, being a founder and running a company is something that I have very little experience in and being new at something and not knowing, you know, I've been working since I'm 15 years old, right? making television and, you know, interviewing people. And I, I know that I could do that with my eyes closed, right? but doing something new that I don't know, I don't like it. I know, I know. I but don't like not being a master at what I'm doing. Right. But I think the key thing that I've learned over the years is that you hire those things, especially in this scenario, right? You hire those people that know those things. How that, do you know? How do you know what you don't know? Well, how do you know how to hire the people that can do the right thing? Because a lot of the time people say they can do the thing and their resume says they can do the right thing. But here's the other thing. Because of corporate structure, you can't, if you check someone's resume or you check their reference, and they were terrible in that job, the person can't tell you. They can't say, listen, the person's extremely dishonest. They misrepresent, do not hire them. Is it because you're in California? Maybe so. <laughs> There's no, but you can't, you can't find out if someone's terrible at their job. Right. So you, those people still get hired because the person, I can't give a bad reference. I can get sued. Oh, that's crazy. That's just California. I give bad references all the time. You do? Yes, I'll say, this is what she did. Do not hire her. Oh my God. Do I need to move my business to New you York? Might. <laughs> I'm seriously considering it because I'll tell you, California. It's too many law, shackles. Like you way have to too be many. able to rely on a reference. It's how we, you know, how do we live our lives for sure? I'd like to. I guess we we jumped right in, which I love. But um, will you give a, a short background on your incredible career, and then what you are just embarking on? Sure. So um, as I mentioned, I've been working since I'm 15 years old. My first job out of juvie was interviewing people on television, which seems surreal and random, and it really is. I um, didn't really have any skills other than I'm really interested in people, and I'm a good communicator, I think. And um, I tried out for many, many jobs, and no one would hire me because I was 15. Um, and somehow, um, UK television production company hired me to interview people on a, on a show that hadn't launched yet. And it launched and within, you know, six months I went from being a schoolgirl to a household name overnight. And it was very bizarre. What was the name of the show? The Word. And okay. it was a live late night talk show. Wow. And it was live with no delay. So you could cuss, you could say really inappropriate things. Oh, I love that. It was awesome. And I interviewed all these, this amazing genre of bands, you know, um, Nirvana, the Chili Peppers, the Smashing Pumpkins, Oasis, Blur, all these bands were on. The first time ever they were on UK TV was on this show. And it was like a music entertainment show. And that was my kind of baptism into doing what I do, you know, part of my job now. 
Um, so I did that until I was 22. And then I came to the States and really was just sick of living in a goldfish bowl. And it was very unhealthy being so famous at a very young age when your identity isn't really formed. And so I came here and um, wanted just to be anonymous and just work out who the hell I was. And I didn't work for about two years. It's the only time in my life that I haven't worked actually was that period of time when my daughter was was young. She was um, two at that time. And that didn't last long. I think once I stopped breastfeeding when she was two and a half, I was like, right, I need to get back to work. Um, and I've always been, been very driven by making things that impact people in a positive way. Um, I feel very blessed that I'm driven by that because otherwise I wouldn't want to get out of bed in the morning if I wasn't driven by that. And so I did not want to be in front of the camera anymore. I was not interested in being forward facing or having the fame situation. And I became a photographer. I loved photography and I really was passionate about it. And I pursued that career. For, and you taught yourself. I taught myself. I've been photographed by some of the greatest photographers in the world. And for many years, because I was in front, because I was you know, they were photographing me for things. And so I always ask people, you know, I always question them. What is that? How do you do that? What's that lighting? How's that? How are you doing that? And I learned a lot from those people and I knew many of them personally. So I just harassed the hell out of everybody for years to learn everything I could. And then I, you know, I was a student. I, I studied photography from the history of photography all the way through. I was just obsessed and I just immersed myself in, in anything that I could. I was also a mom. And so I was taking care of my kid. And um, that was an amazing time of life because I was really incubating my creativity in a way that was a conscious decision as an adult, as opposed to me needing a job out of juvie, which is how I got into interviewing people. So it was a real freedom. Um, what I found soon into my career as a photographer was that there were so few female photographers. There was people like Annie Leibovitz and uh, Ellen Von Unworth and Mary Ellen Mark, who were much older than me. And I just couldn't find women to, you know, to mentor me or to teach me anything. And I, I hit a pretty low glass ceiling in that career where men would just fly by me and they were just getting all the big jobs and getting paid bank for ad campaigns. Still and today. Today. But I, I had male friends who would tell me, oh, I went for this, uh, I went to have a meeting about this big ad campaign I did and they had your pictures on the wall as the reference. I said, well, you should tell them if you want her, hire her, not me. Like do the right thing, dude. Yeah. But I, no one would hire me for the money jobs. And sadly, even though I was very successful as far as you know, being hired to work for magazines and what have you, I couldn't earn a living out of it. And it was heartbreaking to me. And so I decided to have more kids. I was like, yeah, Fuck, fuck a photography <laughs> career. I'm just going to have babies. Um, and and you had twins, right? I had twins at, um, at age 34. And um, that was pretty epic, I have to say. That was a monumental undertaking. Well, it, it is, it's extraordinary and it is, uh, it's a lot of work. Yeah. You know, two is like four. When people have one, I'm like, you have no idea. And it's, I think I want to have one more. I'm like, <laughs> get <That's> ready. <laughs> ready i i remember i have three so pushing it there you go yes so you know i do so um so when i had my kids i um i really hit a bad moment afterwards of severe postpartum thinking my life was over what happened to my creativity what happened to my career what happened to my body what happened to my mind what happened to all of it and uh, and that kind of you know my saving grace has always been to to find a solution you know like okay What's what's going on here? Either I'm going down or I'm going to have to get some help here. Yeah. 
And my help was in the form of coming up with an idea for an interview series called The Conversation, where I talked to women about the life challenges and issues that were the hardest things for them to overcome and for them to share the tools and the solutions so that other women around the world could listen to their stories and know that there was hope. And that was my, that was what pulled me out of my depression was creating that, which I made from my living room. Wow. Mm -hmm. And you've interviewed some incredible women. I really have. Like Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Jane Fonda. Who else? Um, Alicia Keys. um, Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga. Sarah Silverman. Awesome. Chelsea Handler, Gwyneth Paltrow. I've just interviewed, I mean, just every, so many incredible women. It's amazing. And talk about vulnerability, by the way, the, I would say the common thread with all of the women that I've interviewed, because I'm always interested in, in people's really low moments, because mm-hmm. I want to know how they came back from it. Yep. Because we're all going to have them. No one's exempt. My question has always been, well, how did you get up off the ground one more time? Like, how, how did you make it through that? Because that's ultimately what we have to share on the other side of it. Like what we're doing, what we do while we're down the hole is important because that also dictates whether we're going to get out the hole or not. But what I'm really curious about is like, how did you get out? And then what does it look like moving forward? Yep. You know, and all those, all the women who are exceptionally successful have had many, many moments of failure and despair and hopelessness. And the difference between someone who succeeds and doesn't is a very simple thing. And that is that they choose to get up off the ground yet again, one more time and try. You do not know that that one time is not the time that you progress in the way that you want to. Totally. I know my brother calls it like you just keep getting punched and punched and punched and you just keep keep standing up. It's kind of crazy. It is crazy. It's crazy. But but I guess I always question who made us think that that wasn't normal because that is normal, right? I have yet to meet a single person who like had it easy and was really successful. And so we're like almost conditioned to think that that's not normal. And we're always, at least me, surprised when you're like, oh, again? Yeah, I think it's lack of transparency. And if you think about it, the media was the only way that we could get information, right? We could get it from books, but but certainly television, um, films, you know, the narratives that have been created often about women are not written by us or created by us. It's not the television shows were not written by us or directed by us. The films certainly weren't directed or written by women. And so ultimately the stories that are being told about women are missing a monumental piece of who we are, which is the extremely messy pieces, Right. which from a male gaze, they're just not including that. That is not the projection or the fantasy of what women are. Right. And so once we can take the narrative back into our own hands and start creating the images and the stories and the films and the music and, and everything, all the, all the ways we have to communicate now, then we get a more real representation and the truth can come to the surface, which is what's happening. Yep. You and know? it's what you are start, what you started. Yeah, I, I, I started doing that with the conversation because I felt that that we were really doing womankind an injustice by not being truthful about life experiences that so many women and girls are going to experience at some point in your life. Yeah. The likelihood that you have to deal with the death of a parent is 100%. <laughs> you know, so, so why aren't we talking about this stuff? You know, the likelihood that you're going to have a terrible, painful, hard breakup pretty high if you ever think you want to get into a relationship. You know, there are certain things that we're all going to deal with. So 
let's actually share the experience and the solutions. And that's what I started doing with the conversation. And then around the time that I interviewed Hillary Clinton, when she was running for president, I was, it was um, at the end of 2016. And I started to feel that, that with the conversation, I could only reach so many people. And I also felt like there was a whole new generation of, of girl that wasn't getting supported. Um, I, it was, it was really a time where, you know, Kylie Jenner and her lip plumper were blowing up and I was really <laughs> concerned. I was just like, wow, if you're not into Kylie Jenner and her lip plumper, like, where are you going? Right. Who's your tribe? Right. You know, cause <laughs> I was really worried about that. <laughs> I know it's like a random thing, but it like stuck in my no, head. No, it's true. You see it and you're like, oh, that's who, okay. That's who my daughter is going to want to look. Okay. No. Yeah. And so I feel very strongly about creating antidotes to social, you know, to, to the things that I see that are not okay. Right. right. And so I, I realized that we have to start valuing young women and girls ideas and their thoughts and their intellect and their creativity and things that are not about the way they look. Right. right? Because on Instagram, it's about, you know, how many people get hired based on how many followers they have. They could have zero talent, but because they have 2 million followers, they're getting hired for jobs. Right where people who are very qualified and very talented and what their ass off to have that skill set, they get overlooked because they don't have followers. Right. That's just bullshit. And so maybe it's like a fantasy that I think at some point we'll go back to actually having some value for skill. Um, but I certainly don't want to participate in anything that furthers the, the preconception that you just succeed in life based on the way you look and how many followers you have. Right. Unfortunately, that is the truth. Right, but there are still a subset of people who actually do value, um, you know, people who work hard and learn something. Right, um, those are people who I want in my company and in my life. Yeah, you know, and so Girl Gaze was founded um, off of the notion that the the female perspective, the female identifying perspective, is so marginalized and so missing from popular media, from magazine covers, from marketing, from billboards. We know it's missing in the film and television as far as directing goes, but the media that we see that depicts women is not created by us. And that's ultimately really problematic. Yep. And so for the reasons we've talked about. And so I founded Girl Gaze truly as a call to action, which, which was, hey, if you're female identifying and you have a point of view on the world through through directing or photography, share it on Instagram using hashtag girlgaze. And it was, it was just a call to action. And I created an asset on my phone using hashtag, made hashtag girlgaze. And I sent it to all my friends, all my girlfriends. And I said, hey, we need to start highlighting the female identifying perspective because it's so missing. People need to, let's like flood the internet with awesome images by these girls. And everyone posted it for me. And we have had over 4 million uses of hashtag girl gaze wow. online in the last three years. And we, I aggregated, you know, I pulled from that hashtag and started an Instagram account. And the amazing thing is that within two months of me starting girl gaze, Trump got elected and we had a, a women's movement that took root that we never would have had if Hillary had gotten in. Correct. I to say it, but that's true. It's a silver lining. 
And, um, you know, and all the women who went before us who paved the way for us to be where we are today. But this phenomenal women's movement and an awareness of lack of representation, lack of inclusion, of um, the, the fact that women and men are not paid the same. And all this awareness came to the forefront that had never, no one gave a shit about before. I know because people would say like, don't invite Amanda for dinner. She'll talk about the pay gap. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like she'll talk about lack of representation, you know, and, and now people give a shit and it's like buzzwords, which is great for girl gaze totally. and great for all these amazing people who you can now hire through our technology platform. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So you've um, aggregated over 200,000 mm -hmm. uh, women identifying creators, and now they can get hired and showcase their talents. Correct. So how did you how did you do that? It was very difficult. <laughs> so I'll, t I'll tell you. So so initially what happened is that I started saying to people, uh, you know, in my community, listen, can, you should hire some of these amazingly talented people. They're phenomenal. Look at their work. And so people would start looking at, uh, at our Instagram feed. And suddenly I found myself like managing young photographers careers, which I did personally. There was girls who I was, I was like, oh, this girl can, this girl can succeed. And so I was managing personally about 10 photographers, getting them hired, getting them jobs, get, just, and what happened to my career? It suddenly became a photography talent manager. And ultimately what happened is that brands started coming to us saying, we want to work with your community. We hear you and we want to hire them. I was like, great. I had to build a company around the need for brands to connect with our community. Right. And suddenly I'm producing commercials and ad campaigns and stills and all these this incredible content and so suddenly i have a agency and a production company that is creating all this content and the the demand on the company which is great for us because of 50 50 by 2020 and all these companies that want to hire more diverse they don't know where to find people right. we have a pipeline we have over 200,000 people in 67 countries so all these companies were coming to us and a year ago, Unilever came to me and said, we want to ideate a campaign with you because of your girl gaze community is so inclusive and the images that they make that are, that are really challenging beauty stereotypes. And can we ideate a campaign with you and, and, and do this huge global campaign? And I said, yeah, of course we can. And little did I know that would be 400 shoots in 67 countries creating 5,000 images. Holy shit. So, and that was with Dove? That was with Dove. Wow. And so we we ideated the campaign, the entire concept with Dove and their agency. And then we hired 400 photographers, directors, and models. We did all the model casting because we want to make sure that not only the story that's being told from the perspective behind the camera, but also the story in front of the camera is yeah. also inclusive. Yeah. And so we had to do that. And the only way... I looked at my little team of four people then, and I was like, "We, how are we gonna do this? We have to solve a problem here because we cannot fly you, my producer, all around the world to do this. These shoots need to happen simultaneously. 
And so I was reading, I'm such a nerd. I read every kind of, you know, book there is on like tech and business. And I listen to every podcast, you know, like Reed Hoffman's podcast. I'm desperate for new ones. I've listened to all of them. And, um, you know, and so I was like, right, solve a problem. Technology is solving a problem. Let's build something, uh, some kind of technology that allows us to do this. And so I literally, on a scrap of paper, I'm a very visual learner, I drew out what I would like this technology to do. And ultimately what I drew, I didn't know this, was a double-sided marketplace, which means on one side we are have the product, which in this case is the creatives. And on the other side, we have the buyer, which in this case is companies, brands, organizations that want to hire them. And I drew this thing out and then I showed it to someone who knows tech, one of my advisors, Gina Bianchini. And she said, oh yeah, that's double-sided marketplace. Okay, got got it. And so I took money uh, from revenue from some of our jobs and I built a very basic alpha. I'm not even gonna call it a beta, it was an alpha (laughs) to test this concept. And we ran the entire production of 400 shoots in 67 countries through the technology. We had to get uh, lawyers in all these different continents and translate everything. We, We did all the contracting, the NDAs, the mood boards. We did everything through this tech that I built. And we case, it was a case study. And that is what has allowed me to raise money because that was my case study. Wow. It was extraordinary. That's amazing. And And it was literally taped together in the back. I mean, like whatever the tech terminology is for that, like we had to manually do stuff. Yeah. But no one knew because the thing worked. Amazing. And how long ago was that? That was a year ago. Wow. Mm -hmm. And so cut to now over 200,000 creators on the platform. Yeah. So we are transitioning onto our grown-up tech. I call it our grown-up tech because the thing we built was like, you know, the kiddie pool tech. Right. And so we're transitioning onto our grown-up tech and that is a lot more sophisticated and that does things that the the kiddie tech did not do right. at all. It is it's a very sophisticated way of hiring that removes as much as we can conscious and unconscious bias, the things that we know lead to barriers in the workplace for women who are trying to get hired. So how do you how do you remove the bias? Well, if I tell you that, then... You'll have to kill me? I'll have to kill you because my tech hasn't launched yet. Okay. But um, but it is a very sophisticated How did you approach algorithm. the theory of like, what did you want it to do? I wanted people to get hired based on their work, yep. not for any other reason. And we know that there are very specific barriers to entry to the workplace for women and female identifying folk. And so there are things like gender, race, socioeconomic background, education that prevent people from being hired. If you go onto LinkedIn, which is where everybody sources from, you cannot get visible on the platform. You can't get seen for jobs until you go through, you fill out enough mandatory information. One of those things is education. If you don't have education, you leave it blank. You can't progress to the next thing. You can't finish your profile and be seen to be, you can't be hired. Right. Well, what about me? I don't have a GED. Right. So does that mean that I am not qualified to get hired for a job? I'm very qualified. Very. Yep. <laughs> so so that excludes someone from me, like me from the workplace. Yep. So it's no wonder that there's all these, we look at what gets put out. It's like the same people doing the same stuff. Right. Because... 
there's so many people who are excluded from these stupid systems right. and it's killing opportunity. Beyond. And that's what we wanted to remove. Wow. Because when we, we've worked with Nike, with Google, with Levi's, we won, we've been winning a bunch of awards for the, the what we make because our community, if you're marketing to Gen Z, why wouldn't you have them make the content? Right. Like it makes sense. How can you and I make that? Or some like, you know, older white gentleman. Right. He is not going to get what a Gen Z kid connects with. He can sit there and ideate and look at all the studies and all the data. He's not going to get it. Yeah. Who will get it is another kid that age who has that perspective. That's who you hire to make it. And it lands every single time. We have case study after case study that just shows that this concept works. And so we have phenomenal opportunity and we have amazing companies and brands and organizations who want to work with our community. And this technology allows us to scale and provide as many jobs as possible without us manually having to do it. It's incredible. And so your team has grown from four to? 12 right now. 12, okay. And then it's about to go up again. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. I'm really, I'm I'm like beyond excited for Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. Thank you. Yeah. So I want to talk about kids for a second because you have a daughter who I've had the pleasure of meeting and hanging out with. Um, she's older now in the workforce. She's 27. Yeah. So that's just weird because I you know. don't look like you have a 27-year-old. <laughs> so knowing that you wanted to sort of democratize and, and, and make hiring women possible, like are there certain lessons you taught her or ways you raised her to be so strong and start her own thing? She has a podcast too. She does. She's so good. Um, how did you approach it consciously? Very much so. I knew at a young age that financial autonomy was the key to freedom. I saw from a young age women who were married to men who were awful and they didn't leave because they didn't have their own money and they didn't know how to balance a checkbook or didn't know how to do their accounting or didn't know how to pay taxes and they were just too dependent. And so from a very young age, I decided I will never have that. I will never, ever, ever have to ask anyone if I can buy a pair of shoes or if I want to buy a pair of shoes for anybody else. Like, I'm going to do it. And so I started working at age 15 and I had my own money and I was always able to make decisions based on choice rather than need. Do I choose to be with you in a relationship or do I need to stay with you because I don't have a roof over my head? Very different places to come from. And I've come from both, by the way. So when I was raising my daughter, Atlanta, it was very important for me that she learn specific skills to take care of herself in her career, whatever that was. Financial education is really, really important. What I would have her do <laughs> is when I would have business calls and I had to negotiate things, I would have her on the line so she could hear what I was saying. At what age did you start that with her? Mm, like 14. Wow. Yeah, I would have her listen in and I'd say, don't say anything, but listen in because I'd want her to hear and to learn the cadence of how you negotiate. And when, you know, when the person would say something like how I would respond. And I really wanted her to, to have that skill set because I think that is very valuable. Um, and so that was very important uh, for her to learn. The other thing that I really wanted her to learn is that 
knowing when a job opportunity really conflicts with your personal value system. And that sounds like a luxury problem and it is a luxury problem because many people are like, yeah, this conflicts with my value system, but I need to put food on the table. So that's the way it is. And I understand that too. I'm fully 100% self-supporting since I'm 15 years old. I bought my own house. I bought my own car. No husband of mine ever paid my credit card. Like I've been married to wealthy men. I've still always split the mortgage, split the supermarket bills. Like that's how I've always been. Maybe foolish, but there you go. Um, <laughs> but I, for my self-esteem, that was important. So for Atlanta, it was really important for her to learn that. And in fact, recently she walked away from a situation which would have been very profitable for her, but it was really against her values and it questioned her integrity. And ultimately at the end of the day, if you are willing, if your integrity has a price on it, that's a fragile place to be in, right? And so I think wherever possible, learn how far you can go in compromising your integrity before it starts to cause damage that can really take you down a path that is really hard to come back from. Yep. I wanted her to learn that. And I think it's important to try to know what that feels like. Yeah. Because if you don't know what that like icky feeling within you feels like, You're then you so don't right. know. And so then it's like, oh, okay, I'm never, I never want to get to that. You're so right. And also um, another thing is where I didn't give her uh, anything she wanted financially at all. I really limited the financial support so that she could learn the value of money because when it's yours and you don't have much of it and you have to pay that bill, it's like you feel it. Yeah. You know? Yes. So I wanted her to have that too. That's awesome. Mm. I have a very strong-willed four-year-old, mm. which I do not want to squash that strongness, but man, it is... Fucking hard. I'll tell you she a really- She tests me every day. Yeah, well, I'll tell you a really good system that I have for my 12-year-olds is- You have, a, your 12-year-olds are a boy and a girl? Boy or two girl. Men? Okay. They might as well be like, I mean, they're completely different species, you know? <laughs> like, did you co grow together? Yeah, it's crazy. But they have, which they didn't have when Atlanta was little, it's called a current card. And it is a credit card that is attached to the parent's account. And you can basically, you put money on it and they can spend it in a shop. So they can do chores and they earn that money. They can do that, they get an allowance based on whatever it is that your agreement is in your family. But it teaches them, if people wanna give them Christmas money or birthday money, it goes to me and then it, I transfer it onto that, their, their little credit card. And so it, and it teaches them like, oh, I've only got $50 in my bank account that needs to last for like six months. Right. Do you know what I mean? And they constantly come to me and say, well, how about I do more chores in the next three months? I'm like, no, don't spend money you don't have. Right. You got to earn the money first and then you can go spend it. But no, I'm not lending it to you until you do the chores. I love that. I think I'm kind of mean like that, but I think it's they valuable. They say I'm mean, but I was raised the same way and it taught me how to work hard and to like, if I am told I have to create something from nothing, I know how to. Yes. And so like, it pains me that I'm like, no, you got to work for this or no, I say no. And I'm like, am I damaging them by saying no? And I'm like, no, I was said no to all the time and I had to self be self-made, you know? Well, I think that's part of the problem is like an over-parenting yeah. that has happened with our generation of parents yes. where, you know, so many of us had, you know, really difficult childhoods. And so the, 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 the instinct is to be like, I don't want my child to suffer like me. Totally. But we're kind of doing, we've gone extremely the other way. We're somewhat doing them a disservice because they don't know how to tie their own shoelaces. Nope. 
You know what I mean? I do. The amount of time I'm like, work it out, dude. Like <laughs> even sitting on the plane with my son yesterday, he was like, mom, I can't find my phone. I'm like, then get up and find it. Like it's in the seat somewhere. We're on the plane. Like right. where can it be? Right. Do you know what I mean? And I said to him at the end of the flight, I said, you know, you asked me a lot of things on the plane that like, you don't need to ask me that. Like, where are your shoes? Find them. How do, what is, how do I get the blanket open? Open it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like stuff that I'm like, what is going on here? I know. You know how to work all the TV remotes, but you can't, anyway. I know, I agree. I have a insanely talented son. He's like an amazing drummer. He plays soccer, but I'll be like, go to the door and see your shoe next to it. And he's like, where, where is it, Ma? I, I don't see it. How old is he? He's seven. Seven. Well, he may be a certain kind of thinker. <laughs> I have one of those too, who is also very, very good at the things that he's good at. And, you know. Can't find anything though. Well, I, I always joke with my husband. I say, if your penis was not attached to you, you would leave it. <laughs> wherever the hell you last got it out while you were peeing or something, you know? That's awesome. So I have three last questions. Um, one is clearly I know what you're doing um, to make things more equal, take the pay gap and have it be fucking 50-50 already. Yeah. I have, you know, my female founder collective. What can people do? What are just some simple things people can do to just make it a little better? Our Regarding list. the pay gap? Just in life. More equality in life, simple things that if you don't feel like you can be on the forefront of this, you know? Yeah, so um, I would say that there are many things you can do um, on a very fundamental level. You can donate to organizations that are pushing forward an initiative that you support. You can donate a dollar or $5. You can donate your time. That's on it. You can do phone banking. You can do anything like that for, an, for a nonprofit that supports an initiative that you care about or a mission you care about. On a practical level, if you're ever in a position to hire anybody, please try to hire more females and, and also not just cis white females, but be inclusive. Look at who is around you in your world and try to hire uh, more people who represent different perspectives. Um, also, if you're not in a position to hire, just make sure that you listen to women and female identifying individuals and know that just because we're not the same, it doesn't mean that the perspective is less valuable. One of the things that I try to do is even when I, and this is when I'm, this is on a good day for me because some days I don't do this. Obviously a lot of days I don't, but even if I go into a store or I have an interaction with someone on a subway or on the street or wherever it is, I always try to look them in the eye and say, you know, thank you, whether it's a waitress or whoever it is, just thank you, acknowledge people, see them because on a very, basic level, we all want to be seen and we want to be acknowledged. And so that's free. You can do that. This is a crazy thing I do, but sometimes I put quarters in people's meters. I love that. I got to get some quarters. That's really cool. That's just a weird little random thing. So what would we be surprised to know about you? It could be embarrassing or not. I always share something really embarrassing, but I'm trying to think of what I'm going to share. <laughs> like, um, or a habit or just something that people would not know that like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that about her. God, I feel like so much of my quirks have already been talked about or I don't know. That's a really good question. What is something people wouldn't know about me or something that's surprising? 
Like, I'm scared of zombies. Like, literally, I can't live in a house, so I'll never move to the suburb. Oh, well, I have a fear of heights. Okay. And I have to say that coming up here today... is freaky. Yeah, I, 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 I really... And it's a weird thing because every time I'm up somewhere high, I envision, like, what it would be like to fall out of the building. Oh, God. This, and we're high. We're on the <laughs> 65th floor, so, everybody. My kid asked me yesterday, what does morbid mean? And I couldn't think of a good example, but that is a good morbid example. But what about flying? Does that happen when you're flying? Um, I just don't look out the window. Okay. I don't look out the window. But I don't have, like, I don't have a lot of kind of weird stuff or crazy stuff. Okay. Um, I just, it's weird. I, I don't. Um, I don't have, like, quirks or I'm I'm just or nothing maybe I do but I'm just so open about them right I don't have okay I'll tell you what I don't have shame I am never embarrassed I love that I am never embarrassed that's so good like I'm just never embarrassed I mean I'm sure someone will try to embarrass me but I'm actually not there is not one single thing that I have done in my life that I don't have compassion for myself for that I don't understand well that was the best I could do at that time you know, I don't feel that embarrassment serves anyone or shame. Yeah. I don't have any of that either. Love it. All right. So actually, I was lying. I have two questions. Okay. You are launching a podcast. Can we talk about this? With Let's Spotify. talk about it. With Spotify. Yes. Spotify original. <laughs> yeah. So um, my interview series, The Conversation, which I love and I miss doing, um, and I haven't done it because I've been running Girl Gaze, which is like at least an 80 hour a week job. Um, and especially leading up to the election, I felt very strongly that there were conversations that needed to be had that I wanted to have with, you know, women and, and maybe even men. I have not interviewed men for the conversation, but I'm thinking that it might be a good time to do it, especially as we are, you know, this time that we're in with the amount of awareness of workplace harassment and sexual assault and the epidemic that, that has been uncovered that we all knew was there, but now we have actual hard numbers on this stuff. I feel like it's really important to, for there to be more and more places where there is a trusted source that is giving information. And I think trust is something that is earned and that you, you cannot buy that. You cannot, it doesn't matter how many followers or how foxy you are or whatever the deal is. Like that's not getting you trust. It's one of the things that you cannot get, by the way. Uh, you can't buy it, like it's it's earned. And I like that about it. And I have an immense um, respect for trust. And so I want to be able to share stories and have dialogues with people that are difficult, that need to be had. Um, and I feel that I'm someone who has a trusted perspective by you know, a few people. And I want to be able to provide that um, as we move into the election and there will be a lot of information that's shared. And I, I want to be a, a, a source for people to be able to know that the information they're getting is truthful. Awesome. I can't wait to listen. I hope you do. Oh, I will. And thank you for having me on yours. Oh my gosh, my pleasure. Last one. What is anything you want to leave uh, our listeners with advice-wise? You've given obviously great advice, some of which I'm going to be taking to heart today, <laughs> but any like any other gems that have gotten um, you by? I mean, I think the most important thing is that no matter if no one else believes in an idea or a theory that you have and you feel really strongly about it, if you are the only person who believes it, you should go for it because every single thing I have done that has been successful 
many, many people said, that's never going to work. Or who's going to do that? Or that, how can you do that? And I actually got rid of those people. I was like, bye. Yep. Don't eat them. To f get, get, get away because no one is going to have as much conviction as you. Right. And so as long as you have the conviction, go for it. Love it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're so welcome. That was Amanda Decadne on Superwomen. I hope you follow her at Girl Gaze and look up the hashtag. And if you know of a big brand or an incredible female identifying creator, please tell them all about what Girl Gaze is doing. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.